Hello, and welcome to the Formed and Known podcast. The Formed and Known podcast exists to equip believers in Jesus Christ to think biblically about issues related to sex, sexuality, and the value of every human life. The name of our podcast comes from Jeremiah 1, verse 5, where the Lord spoke to the prophet Jeremiah and said, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. My name is Jared Marshall. I'm a former pastor and now serve as the executive director at Marsha's Place Pregnancy Resource Center in Henderson, Kentucky. I'm joined today by a very special guest. Mike Spencer is the founder and president of Project Life Voice. He travels all across the country speaking at churches, conferences, high schools, university campuses, equipping pro-life ambassadors to speak compellingly and redemptively about life issues. I first got to know Mike about 10 months ago or so. I attended a pastor's breakfast where he was the guest speaker, and I immediately thought he was one of the most compelling, gospel-centered pro-life speakers I had ever heard. We were blessed uh, to have Mike return to our area back in March of this year uh, to be the keynote speaker at our Night for Life annual fundraiser here at Marsha's Place. And I know, uh, listener, you're going to be so blessed and and equipped and inspired uh, by our conversation with Mike today. So, Mike, thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Formed and Known podcast. Well, thank you, Jared. It's good good to be with you and good to see you again. Let's start with your story. Uh, One interesting thing about you is that although you've now dedicated your life to being a pro-life ambassador, uh, that wasn't always the case. In fact, at one point you considered yourself pro-choice. So so I think that'd be a great place to start. Just just tell us some about your background and how you came to be pro-life. Yeah. So I, um, I grew up in the Detroit area. And somewhere late into my high school years, or at least by the time I had graduated early into my adult life, I had sort of just um, defaulted, if you will, to kind of the the so-called pro-choice position. I wasn't rabidly pro-choice. It wasn't something that I ever remember debating or arguing with anybody about. I don't know that I had strong opinions about it, but I definitely thought that this should be legal, that this should be a woman's right. And my thinking for that was, uh, quite frankly, I think like a lot of Americans, um, I knew abortion was bad. I knew it was wrong. But like a lot of Americans, I think I saw it as a necessary evil. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it was something we had to have. And um, so that's how I saw it. But what happened was I, um, I came to faith in Christ in September of 1983. I was 21 at the time. And the church that I started attending um, was a, a little church in the Detroit area. And um, about eight or nine months into my newfound faith, I, um, I, I walked into the church on a Wednesday night for the evening, uh, for the midweek service. And I walked out about an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half later forever changed because that night, um, the pastor showed the film, The Silent Scream. I'm sure some mm-hmm. of your viewers will uh, be familiar with that, but that was kind of an earth shaking, kind of a groundbreaking kind of a film, pro-life film back uh, then. It actually, it was just into 1984 when I saw it, and that's when it was released. Bernard Nathanson had produced that film. And I saw uh, that night for the first time with my own eyes what abortion did to little girls and boys, and I couldn't believe what I was seeing. I, I, I really had no idea mm. what abortion was. Right. And so that changed everything. And then the long story short is... Um, so that was an instant conversion for me. I mean, right. <laughs> I didn't need any more arguments after seeing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, then I went on to, um, uh, we, my wife and I uh, got married in 1984. We moved to 
um, Fort Wayne, Indiana uh, in 1985 so that I could go to a small Bible college there. And um, I graduated from there in 89. I went on to seven years of youth ministry and then 16 years of um, uh, senior pastor roles in two different churches. And I was very, by this time, I was, you know, very, very uh, solid in my pro-life convictions. But my burden for this continued to grow as I saw more and more pastor friends in some cases and, and other uh, churches and the denomination that I was a part of that that were pro-life, but sort of in name only, and they weren't doing anything about it. They weren't speaking on it or anything. And that just, that really just kind of stoked the fires in me. So mm-hmm. all that to say that about 10 years ago, I was invited uh, by Scott Klusendorf to join the teaching staff of Life Training Institute, which I did for eight years and had a great eight years doing that. And then just over two years ago now, I stepped away to start Project Life Voice, the ministry that I'm a part of now. So yeah, yeah. so that's, that's, the, that's the trail. That's, there, that's right. where it came from and where right. it took me. Right. Well, tell us a little bit um, about Project Life Voice. You know, I, I briefly uh, spoke to it in the introduction, but just kind of tell us about the ministry of Project Life Voice sure. and uh, just kind of what you do on, on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Well, we are a um, gospel-driven pro-life apologetics ministry, um, a human rights organization that advocates for the least of these, the unborn, and for their young mothers facing um, difficult pregnancy situations. And so um, a lot of my work is spent um, partnering with ministries like yours, with Marsha's Place. Um, I've had the opportunity, the privilege to speak at, at your banquet and a pastor's luncheon. And right. so um, I do a lot of banquet speaking. I do a lot of workshops, pro-life apologetics workshops uh, in churches and for pregnancy centers, rights to life groups, speaking in a lot of schools um, and a lot of churches. I do a lot of pastor's luncheons, pastor's breakfasts like that or things like that. But it's all, all of this is really um, to the uh, to the end of or the effort of equipping pro-life ambassadors to speak intelligently and to speak confidently and to live sacrificially on behalf of the least of these, our unborn neighbors. Yep. Well, thank you so much for um, the work that you do through Project Life Voice. And um, as you said, you've you've done a pastor's luncheon for us here in, in Henderson. You, you did our Night for Life uh, annual banquet. Uh, and people were just were just so blessed um, by having you there. So uh, thank you. so thank you for the ministry that you've that you've started and continue to do through Project Life Voice. Um, I want to ask you. Um, so we're we're about a month out now uh, mm-hmm. from the Supreme Court issuing their decision in the Dobbs case, uh, that of course resulted in the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Yeah. Um, so just in in general, I mean, you you live and and breathe this issue and have done so for for many years now. Um, what are your thoughts on that recent decision? And and in what ways is this? Uh, in what ways do you see this as a victory for the unborn and for the pro life movement a, as a whole? Yeah, well, like you, and I, I'm sure a lot of, uh, like all of your viewers, perhaps, um, boy, what a great victory, and, mm-hmm. and what a long, long overdue victory this has been. I, I think that most of us, you know, in talking to uh, folks like you and other pro-life friends of mine, particularly those in ministry like you, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it's something that a couple of years ago, it was hard to imagine it. Um, yeah. it, it seemed like a kind of a pipe dream. So um, it's just fantastic news. It is a great victory um, for the unborn and for their young mothers and fathers. Um, uh, You know, it's certainly a victory because it has uh, already resulted in uh, closing about 49 um, abortion clinics or or at least um, severely um, restricting uh, the abortions that they are to, they are able to perform, and so uh, you know it's just a great. In fact, uh, the, the uh, Jackson uh, Women's Health uh, Abortion Clinic 
um, in Mississippi is closed. Uh, that mm -hmm. was at the center of the, the Dobbs versus Jackson case, of course, and they're closed. So it was just a great right. thing. Um, I say it's a great thing. It is a great victory. Uh, it's a great victory for a lot of reasons. Uh, and I'll mention a couple more of those, but it's not complete victory and it won't right. be complete victory until every baby in every womb in every state is protected legally from abortion. You know, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter on whether or not you live in a blue state or red state uh, determining whether or not you live or die. Um, mm -hmm. Every state should be protecting the unborn. So until that happens, it is only a partial victory, but nonetheless, it is a huge victory. I think it's also a victory because, you know, we've had hundreds of pro-life laws on the books that have been stalled out uh, for decades in some right. cases because of Roe v. Wade. Um, it's a great victory because now these legislators who in many cases, certainly not all, but in many cases, pro-life legislators, both at a federal level and at a state level, uh, have hidden behind Roe. That's been the excuse to say, well, you know, we can't pass this bill or, you know, right. this law or whatever. And so they've kind of hidden behind it. So I think it's going to, it's going to force at least those legislators that claim to be pro-life to really ante up and act uh, as if right. they really believe that. So that's another great win. Right. Um, it's a great win also um, for the church, but it also presents us with a great opportunity, a, a great responsibility, mm -hmm. and that is to step up to the plate and really partner with ministries like Marcia's Place and the other 2,800 pregnancy centers throughout the United States uh, to really meet the needs of these little ones and of their young mothers and fathers. So it's, it's a great victory. It's a great opportunity, and it's one that we do not want to flinch. Um, you know, we don't want to blink and miss this. Right. And, yeah. you know, j just to illustrate uh, the point you made a, uh, a few moments ago when you said, you know, a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. this didn't even really seem like a, something yeah. that was even feasible, that, that was possible. Right. Right. Uh, I remember distinctly, so I met you, I think about 10, nine or 10 months ago uh, at a pastor's luncheon um, that was being hosted in our area. And I remember during the Q&A of, of that session, somebody asked you, you know, how do you think Roe v. Wade will be overturned? And I remember, I mean, cynical me sitting in the, sitting in the audience that day, I remember in that moment thinking, there's no way Roe v. Wade is ever going to be overturned. Like when he asked the question, I, I just thought that's, it's just, it seemed so unattainable. Yeah. Um, so what a as you said, what an incredible victory, what a, what a God-given victory, I would say that, you know, nine, 10 months later, here we are and Roe v. Wade has right. been, been overturned. And as you yeah, said, yeah. just what, what amazing opportunities now, uh, recognizing that it's a, it's a partial victory, uh, mm -hmm. still a lot of work to be done. So, um, so yeah, just, yeah. Uh, what an amazing time to, to be living in now, um, uh, as a pro-life advocate. Um, well, it's also a seismic, you know, there's a seismic shift of momentum now, yeah. Um, because the law is a teacher. And the very fact that the other side has responded uh, so rapidly, predictably, but so rapidly uh, and violently in many cases, um, shows you just what a threat this is. So mm -hmm. uh, it, it seems clear to me that this is a great victory, but again, a, a partial victory to be sure. Right, right. Well, we're, we're going to spend some time later in the podcast uh, dealing directly with with many of the objections and arguments that we'll, we'll commonly mm -hmm. hear from pro-abortion advocates. But I, I first want to take some time here to kind of deal with things at home, so to speak. Um, so, so many churches, many pastors, uh, many Christians in general are silent on the issue of abortion. And, and mm. I want to give you the opportunity to speak to that reality. Uh, bef before you do that, I, I do just want to reassure our listeners 
at this point of, uh, of what you already said, I mean, you, you were, were a longtime pastor for 23 years. I'm a former pastor myself. Uh, we're, we're both active members in our respective local churches, right? We, uh, on this podcast, we, we love the church of Jesus Christ. Our intention at this point in the podcast is not to, to, to cast disregard or, or contempt onto the bride of Christ, but we just want to encourage our, our listeners, encourage uh, pastors that we, we as the church of Jesus Christ have an obligation to, to speak on this issue of abortion. And so I, I think, I think I can rightly uh, speak for you there. I hope I'm, I'm not misrepresenting your, your heart on that, Mike, but. Um, no, not that, at all. Yeah. yeah. I, not at all. I, you know, I, again, I came to faith in Christ in 83 and I, I joke with people. I say this sort of in jest when I tell people this, but there's an enormous amount of truth in it. I fell in love with Barbara, my wife, who led me to Christ. I fell in love with Jesus and I fell in love with the body of Christ all in the month of September of 1983. So that was a very good <laughs> month for me. But like you, I love the body of Christ. I love the church. And I am thankful that there are shepherds out there. In fact, I think more and more of them, it's still, it's still far too few, but there are shepherds out there who are faithful, who are bold, who are compassionate and courageous on this issue. Right. And I thank God for them. So yeah, I'm, right. I'm right there with you on that, Jared. Absolutely. And just to speak to the reality of that, you know, here at Marsha's Place, I mean, we're proud to have uh, this year, we've had almost 50 churches in our area um, who have financially supported our, our ministry. So um, there is, I I think, due to the work of of you and and many others, I think there is a growing, uh, a growing contingent of, of bold pastors and bold churches uh, who are speaking about this issue in a, in a protective way for the unborn and redemptively uh, for those yes. who, have, who have had abortions. So, yeah. uh, but I, I do, uh, having said that, uh, understanding that that's our heart behind this discussion uh, mm-hmm. is to love the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, I, I do just want to ask you, uh, so many churches are silent mm-hmm. on abortion. Uh, and sure. why do you think that is? Yeah. Um, well, that's a really, that's a really important question. Um, and there are a lot of reasons for it. So I would maybe boil it down to three primary reasons, Um, and there would be fear, ignorance, and apathy. So just Mm -hmm. briefly, I'll unpack those. Mm -hmm. A lot of shepherds fear speaking to the issue of abortion because they've come to believe that this is a political issue and therefore it's off limits for the church, you know, that their tax exemption status is going to be threatened or this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Another fear that a lot of shepherds have is the fear of um, dividing the flock over a so-called controversial issue or the fear of inflicting more harm or injury on those in the congregation who've either had abortions or had been responsible for them. So there's a lot of fear out there. Those are some of the reasons. Um, Ignorance would be the second one. And by ignorance, I don't mean that as a pejorative. I mean, it in the true sense of the word, Um, ignorance, I don't think too many pastors today can claim ignorance in not knowing what abortion does to unborn children. That's hard for me to imagine. But I do think there's a degree of ignorance with respect to the personal impact that abortion is having on their own local church and on their own local and on their own pastoral ministry as well. Right. Um, you know, I, I had one pastor years ago uh, who I sat down with over lunch. A friend had brokered this lunch appointment between the three of us. And uh, so that I could meet his pastor and share with him what I do and this kind of thing. And so in the conversation, you know, I had kind of walked him through what I do and how I do it, this kind of thing. And, and I asked him, you know, is there anything I've said or any concerns that I've, you know, raised in your mind that I could speak to? And he said for, you know, he, he thought for just a second and he said, you know, this all sounds really good what you shared with me, but if I'm honest, I'm pastoring a church of 85 people and I can't imagine anyone in my church who's had an abortion. 
Now my heart mm-hmm. sank because I thought immediately I thought, do we have to wait until babies under our pastoral care die before this becomes a relevant issue? But the other reason my heart sank was because what he didn't know was that the, the friend of mine who had, had arranged this lunch appointment um, is married to a woman who had an abortion. And she had shared this in his church with another woman who had also had an abortion. So there's at least a couple of women in his church who've had abortions that he's unaware of. Now, I'm not blaming him for those abortion decisions. Those happened before he came to the church. He was fairly new there. But this sort of illustrates just, a, 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 you know, the ignorance that is out there with respect to how, you know, I think a lot of people, particularly a lot of pastors, particularly in smaller communities, think, well, you know, that's in Los Angeles. You know, that's in Detroit. You know, right. this is, you know, this is you know, this little town here, whatever. So I think there's a lot of ignorance. And then I think the big one is apathy. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the risk of sounding cynical, you know, in every uh, profession, we, uh, there are, there are people who frankly are not very good at their jobs. There are some doctors, I think it's a small number, a small percentage, but there are some doctors who really don't care about their patients. There are some uh, attorneys who don't care about their clients. There's some school teachers who don't care about their students. And sadly, and tragically, there are shepherds who really don't care about the flock. In fact, Jesus had pretty strong mm-hmm. words for them. He called them hirelings, you know, that when the, the wolf attacked the flock, they were nowhere to be found. They, you know, they mm-hmm. abandoned the flock. And so I do think that there's a, an enormous number of pastors, only God knows that number or that percentage, but there's an enormous, enormous number of shepherds in the United States who really, frankly, are just not really interested in the, in, in the battle. And um, they're not worried about whether or not babies under their pastoral care live or die and right. whether or not women and, and, and men make life-altering decisions. I just think it's not on the radar, some of these guys. And I think that's unfortunate. Those are three big reasons. There are others, but I think those are the big ones. Right. Yeah. And just to, to spell out the point that you're making, um, CareNet, which is our national um, you know, pregnancy resource center affiliate, uh, they've done a couple different surveys of, uh, they did one of a group of a thousand women who had had abortions previously. Mm-hmm. They did another one last year of a thousand men whose partners had had abortions. And in those two different surveys, uh, I don't have the, the, the precise statistic in front of me, but it was around, it was around one third of the women uh, were actively attending a Christian church at the time that they had had their first abortion. Uh, and for the men, it was actually even higher. It was almost half of men uh, that they surveyed were actively attending a Christian church at the time that their partner had an abortion. Right. So I just share that just to just to illustrate exactly what you said. Um, yeah. there, there are people sitting in congregations in, in pews and seats every Sunday uh, who are harboring um, the, the, the truth of an abortion That's in right. their past. And uh, so, so exactly as you're saying, pastors uh, more than ever just have an obligation uh, to be willing to speak about this issue. Um, yes. And and so, one question, uh, maybe maybe some pastors or or just fellow believers who are listening uh, might be wondering, just at a broad level, is it possible for the local church to to be a protective voice for the unborn, to be a bold voice for the unborn, while at the same time uh, being a, a safe place of of healing and redemption for those who have had abortions, can you can you yeah. try to to answer that question for us? Yeah, that you know that really is the question, and the answer is really very simple. Yes, it's possible to do both of those things: to be a bold, uh, thundering, protective voice for the unborn from the pulpit on Sunday morning when the big crowd is there, while at the same time nurturing a redemptive community, a community where those who have had abortions 
or have been responsible for them, or those who are facing unplanned pregnancies can find a place of grace and, and a place of safety. Those are absolutely possible. And, and I would say if, if what? If we really believe the gospel that we claim to believe. In other words, I think that the church's response, or more directly, the pastoral response to legalized abortion um, is primarily not a political issue, not a women's rights issue, certainly not an irrelevant issue, but it is primarily a gospel issue. And I think when the shepherd approaches it from his pulpit and in his counseling room, in, in any teaching opportunity he has, when he approaches this as a gospel issue and, 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 and a gospel opportunity, then mm -hmm. I think those two things are entirely possible to be a bold, protective voice and to provide a safe place for those who have been hurt by abortion decisions. Yes, those are entirely possible. Right, right. And um, I guess uh, another just kind of um, broad question, uh, what do you think pastoral silence on abortion, what do you think that costs the church when, when a pastor uh, is just silent entirely yeah. on the issue of abortion? Well, it certainly costs the unborn. <laughs> that's the, right. you know, that's the, the I mean, the, the unborn are the primary victims of abortion. Um, but beyond that, it's also costing, um, as you mentioned, as you just alluded to, it's costing uh, many of our young moms and dads, our young people, um, because they're making life-altering decisions, uh, life-ending decisions for their children and life-altering decisions for them. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, and then if the pastor's not speaking out on it, then it's leaving them in that pain and in that um, guilt mm -hmm. and in that shame. Um, so it's certainly having an impact that way. It's also having an impact on the church's gospel witness, because uh, think about it. What are we, you know, what is the watching world to think when we speak adoringly, worshipfully of Jesus Christ, the lover of children, but then when we don't love children, the children that he loves, when we don't love them enough to speak up for them, to speak up for those who have no voices, we're commanded clearly to do in Proverbs chapter 31, verse eight. So what is a watching world to think of that? Now, some, some may be listening to this, watching this and thinking, well, I don't think the, the, the watching world, the non-Christian world wants us talking about abortion. And I would agree. I don't think they want us talking about abortion, but they need us talking about abortion. They need to see us acting sacrificially on behalf of the unborn. This not to do so is damaging our gospel witness. It really is disfiguring the soul of the mm -hmm. church. Um, and so I think that's one of the, the great, the great losses, the great costs of pulpit silence. Another one would be the, the lack of respect and credibility that pastors, or let me restate that pastors that are silent are sacrificing um, on the altar of silence, their own credibility. They are losing the respect of their flock. I know this because, and I know you've heard this too, because we've talked about this kind of thing, Jared, but I frequently hear, um, so whether I speak at a banquet or I speak in a, in a, uh, a church worship service, whatever, uh, of course, it doesn't normally happen in the worship service because I'm usually in a church, obviously, where the pastor's warm and friendly to this, but speaking in other capacities or in other venues, I will frequently have people come up to me afterwards and say, oh, I love this. This is great. I'm so glad you were here today. I'm pro-life. I love my church. I love my pastor, but, and then they go on to explain, but their pastor won't speak to the issue of abortion. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, they'll say, well, he's a really good guy, but he won't talk about abortion. Well, the question at hand is not, is your pastor a good guy? The real question is, is your pastor a good shepherd? Mm -hmm. And your pastor is not a good shepherd if he turns his eye, turns a blind eye to the most vulnerable of his flock. 
if he surrenders them to the abortionist knife without so much as a, as a whimper from the pulpit. So I, I, think, I think a lot of these pastors don't realize how it is hurting their uh, pastoral credibility when their congregations see them as being uh, either uncaring or cowardly um, uh, toward the unborn. So I think that's another great cost. Well, let me ask you um, just um, to respond here to, to maybe some of the common objections um, mm-hmm. that we might hear from, from pastors or from fellow believers, um, you know, with respect yeah. to speaking up about the, the issue of abortion. These are, these are just some objections people might raise as to why they, they don't think they should talk about abortion. Sure. Um, sure. Of course, one is the, the very common argument. Um, I, I seemingly see this every week now in different publications, uh, but the basic assertion is that the Bible is silent on the subject of abortion, mm-hmm. uh, and therefore it's, it's morally acceptable. Uh, now, we've actually, we've done a couple episodes of this podcast on that very issue, but uh, I, I did just want to uh, give you a, an opportunity to briefly address that, that objection right. as well. Yeah, so, so the, the objection that says that um, the Bible is silent is based on a faulty assumption. And the assumption is that what the Bible does not expressly condemn, it therefore condones. Mm-hmm. So um, what people are doing when they, when they argue this way is they're looking at the Old Testament, they're looking at the New Testament, and they're not seeing the word abortion anywhere in it. And so they've concluded that the Bible is silent. And so if the Bible is silent, then God must be okay with it, or it must not be a big deal. Right. But I mean, just think how crazy that kind of thinking is. Um, uh, for instance, I, I think it's Scott Klusendorf, um, who I heard say this, that, you know, nowhere does the Bible condemn, expressly condemn torturing puppies or pouring toxins into our rivers. But nobody thinks that those, those activities are okay, because we know that God has called us to steward that which he's created. We don't need, in other words, a Bible verse that says, thou shalt not torture puppies to know that torturing puppies is wrong. Right. So, so too, we don't need a Bible verse that expressly details for us what methods of murder are off limits? Because we already know that the Bible clearly condemns the unjust shedding of innocent human blood. I mean, Exodus chapter 20, uh, mm-hmm. you know, thou shall not murder. And then we've got all kinds of commandments in the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament that condemn the unjust shedding of innocent human blood. So we don't need a Bible verse to say, thou shall not murder somebody in this method. You know, we sh- you know thou shall not hang somebody or uh, shoot somebody or poison somebody or dismember them in their mother's womb. We don't need that kind of a Bible verse. We just need to know the Bible condemns the unjust killing of innocent human beings. And then the second thing is we don't, nor do we need a Bible verse that expressly um, states which classes of human beings we can't murder. For instance, we don't have a Bible verse anywhere in the Old or New Testament that says thou shall not murder Hispanics. Mm-hmm. or thou shalt not murder people born in February. Um, we don't need that kind of thing. We just need to know what a human being is. And we can go to the science of human embryology to see that from the moment of fertilization, um, the embryo is a distinct living and whole human being. That's the kind of being it is. So therefore, all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament commandments um, against the unjust shedding of innocent human blood are there to protect you and I, Jared, and every other human being at every stage of our development, regardless of where we're located. So the Bible is absolutely not silent on the unjust shedding of innocent human blood. Absolutely. Amen. Uh, What would you say to uh, a pastor who would say, well, abortion, it's such a 
such a controversial, such a divisive, such a political issue. Mm-hmm. And, and as a pastor, I'm called to protect the unity of my church. Uh, so therefore, I'm, I'm not going to talk about this, this topic. Right. What would you say to, to that objection? Well, then stop preaching the gospel. If you want to stay away from controversy, um, then, you know, that's, that would be the reason not to preach the gospel. Uh, again, the thinking here is, 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 is very discouraging. Um, when a pastor says, I'm called, to, I'm called to protect the unity of the church, that's precisely right. But what he's actually saying is that, well, my church is apparently divided over this. I mean, apparently he's saying that my church is divided over this issue. And so if I speak out against it, it's, it's going to bring that division to the surface. My response to that would be, if a pastor's church, if a, if a, if a local church is divided over whether or not it is morally permissible um, before God to dismember, decapitate, and disembowel little girls and boys in utero, then that pastor's got a problem on his hands, and that actually becomes his calling. That doesn't become the excuse to go silent. That becomes the reason that he should be lighting his pulpit on fire against this evil, because his congregation should not be divided over such a fundamental uh, moral issue. Um, I, I mean, imagine living in Nazi Germany and pastors saying, well, the church is divided over whether or not it's right to, to uh, you know, to uh, persecute our Jewish neighbors. And so we'll just go silent on it so we can all get along. Well, no, any division over something like that is, is actually our calling. So that, and the, and the pastor ought to preach with all the fire of a reformer until everybody in that congregation can say with one voice, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. There mm-hmm. should be, there should be unity on this issue. Mm-hmm. So I, 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 I just, reject the, the, the idea here that because something is divisive, we should stay away from it. Right. And what would you say, I guess, just one last objection that, that sometimes uh, we'll hear, uh, what would you say to the objection that if, if we speak out on abortion from the pulpit in our churches, uh, that will only inflict greater harm on those who have had abortions? Uh, what, what would you, how would you answer that objection? Well, I have some sympathy for this one. Um, I, I think, you know, I, again, I pastored for in senior pastor roles for 16 years. And I think this kind of concern ought to, ought to be at the heart of every pastor. We, we don't want to inflict greater injury or greater harm on those in our, um, uh, in our congregations who have had abortion experiences. So I, I'm sympathetic on some level with that. But again, the thinking here is that we cause harm by bringing sin to the surface. And I, I would say that this is really expressing sort of a weak view of the gospel. Um, <clears throat> imagine saying this about any other sin, let's say adultery. Um, imagine saying, well, speaking out is only, is only going to make those in my congregation who've committed adultery feel badly. It's going to make them feel guilty. It's, it's going to inflict more injury. So I'm going to go silent on the subject. I, I, I trust that anybody listening and watching your, your podcast would recognize the frailty and, and the, fault, the faulty uh, thinking behind that. Um, the reality is, is that when the, when the shepherd goes silent, when the pulpit goes silent on this issue, the issue of abortion, he is communicating one of two messages to his congregation. And both of these messages are regrettable and damaging. Either abortion is not so bad or, a gospel, or the gospel is not so good. Right. That's the commun- That's what's being communicated. 
I mean, think of it this way. If I'm, if I'm sitting in a church uh, as a woman who's had an abortion or as a man who has been responsible for one, and let's say it was 15 or 20 years ago, and for the last 15 or 20 years, I'm not hearing anything about abortion from the pulpit. Well, I'm left to assume either, again, well, abortion must not be a big deal. It must not be so bad. So I don't, I don't need to worry about this. Mm-hmm. Or the opposite. It's so bad that my pastor can't even mention it from the pulpit. He talks against other sins, lying, gossip, slander, adultery, but he won't talk about abortion. I must be guilty of having committed the unpardonable sin. And you can see quickly how both of those messages are damaging. I think rather what we should be doing in our pulpits is, as Paul taught the the Ephesians, we should speak the truth in love. So It's not enough for a shepherd to get up and and merely declare abortion for the evil that it is. That's certainly what he needs to do. But he needs to approach this in a redemptive way, bringing the gospel to bear in this. He needs to boldly condemn abortion, but then hold out the word of life for those who have been hurt by abortion decisions. If people feel guilty about their abortions, that's a good thing. Now, it's not that we want to heap guilt or abuse on them, but that we want to, to expose that sin to the light of the gospel so that they can find forgiveness, so that they can find healing. And so, right. I, I, again, I think this is just really faulty reasoning. And yet, and yet I'm glad you bring it up because I know that an awful lot of pastors have been, have been uh, sort of paralyzed um, because of this fear that they have that they're going to inflict greater injury. In, in closing on this point, I would just say this, nothing inflicts injury, more injury like pulpit silence. Hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, could you just just to to wrap up this section then mm-hmm. uh, dealing with you know the the ministry of the church on on the issue of abortion, uh, having been a pastor for for a couple decades yourself, um, can you just kind of summarize for us uh, what what you see as the the biblical duty of of the church and, and the pastor in a society like ours where abortion. Yeah. Uh, in many places is still legal. It is still very common and increasingly. So it's, it's just becoming celebrated uh, in yeah, our, in our society. Yeah, abortion, right? Right. Abortion, right. Exactly. Exactly. So what, what's the job of the, what's the duty of the biblical duty of the church or the pastor in a society like ours? Yeah. Well, let me give you four. Um, and, <laughs> and I suppose there could be more, but I'll give you four and I'll, I'll right. do this quickly. Yeah. Number one, the, the, the truly pro-life pastor, and I, I'm talking about the shepherd who, who doesn't just say, yeah, I don't like abortion, kind of like I don't like broccoli, but I mean the pastor who's truly pro-life, who's accepting that biblical duty before God to, to champion the cause of the unborn. That pastor, the truly pro-life pastor, leads the flock in prayer for the unborn and for their young mothers and fathers and for the abortionist and his staff. Um, And I would say that the pastor does that from the pulpit. Again, on Sunday morning when the big crowd is there, that he's not ashamed of the unborn. He's not ashamed to pray for them. He's not embarrassed of his pro-life convictions, but he's willing to to pray for them. I'm certainly not going to get legalistic and, and tell your audience that they have to do it every Sunday or the first Sunday of every month or whatever. But we should be praying from our pulpits often enough that our congregations are 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 bearing that burden with us. We should be going as one voice before God on this. A second duty for the truly biblically minded, distinctly pro-life pastor is that he teaches the flock about human dignity and human equality, human worth. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't assume that his congregation uh, is on board with him on this. He doesn't assume that. He teaches it. And in other words, he needs to present a biblical 
view of the, the doctrine of the Imago Dei, that we are God's image bearers, that we have an intrinsic moral worth about us, an inner a, a nature about us um, uh, as human beings created in God's image that sets us apart from all of the other, the rest of the created order, and that human life is precious. These things need to be taught. It, right. We can't just assume it. Thirdly, uh, the, the truly pro-life pastor, and we've kind of already hit on this, but the truly pro-life pastor thunders from his pulpit against the evil of abortion in no uncertain terms. He doesn't mouse around with it. Uh, you know, he doesn't tiptoe around the edges, but he boldly declares abortion for the evil that it is. You know, our marching orders are clear. Ephesians chapter 5, 11, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. Now, right. This isn't pleasant work. No, no, you know, this isn't pleasant, uh, uh, you know, a pleasant duty of the church or of the pastor, but this is the duty of the church. This is the duty of the pastor. Uh, he, he's got to, you know, I mean, look, Ezekiel 33 couldn't be any more clear that if the watchman sees danger coming and he doesn't blow the trumpet, and, and warn the people, then the blood of those people will be on his hands. And so the shepherd has a duty to protect the flock. Every pastor is different. God's wired us all up different. We have different personalities. We're, we're all going to do that in different ways. Some guys are very introverted. Some guys are very extroverted. But regardless, nobody should be left at the end of that message, knowing, wondering where God stands or where that shepherd stands on the issue of killing unborn babies in the name of choice. So that would be the third duty. And then the fourth and final duty, I say final for our purposes here today anyway, um, would be the pro-life pastor compassionately leads those who have uh, aborted their children to the one who died to forgive them. And I would say, Jared, that these things can be done. These two things can be done in the same, on the same Sunday morning in the same sermon. In other words, I think a pastor can, I know this because I did it for years, can boldly declare abortion for the evil that, that it is, and yet still hold out hope and forgiveness through the, through the gospel of Jesus Christ for those who have made abortion decisions. Right. So this is the good news of the gospel. And if we really, you know, the, I think a question that every pastor and every church ought to contend with is, is our gospel really for everyone or is it only for those who are conveniently loved and protected? Because if we really believe it's for everyone, then we're not going to hold this truth back. We're not going to be afraid to go there. We're going to be willing to go there. We're going to be willing to do the uncomfortable thing and potentially to see others become uncomfortable as a result, but then leading them to the cross of Jesus Christ, where they can find real forgiveness and real healing from that experience. So right. I, I think those are the four primary duties of the shepherd in, in a, an abortion su supportive culture. Thank you for listening to part one of our interview with Mike Spencer. We hope you'll stick around for part two, where Mike is going to help us respond to many pro-abortion arguments and objections from a biblical perspective.